Welcome to Living Love, the radio broadcast ministry of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Benton, Illinois. Our desire is to live love to God, to others, and the nations. We hope this week's broadcast will bless and encourage you. Now, let's dive into God's Word and see how we can live love today. In the book of Philippians, Paul's writing this personal letter to folks that he loves, that he knows. And because it's a personal letter, he shares a little bit of his own life. And in the passage that we're going to look at today, he's going to make some reference to some things that have happened in the past that quite honestly are not very nice and not very positive and and not very good, but he's going to make reference to those things. Then he's going to talk about some things that are going on in the present, right, as he's in prison and things that are happening, and some of them are not very good. And then he's going to make a reference to some things that might happen. And they potentially are not going to be very good. But there's going to be a theme in the way he responds to the things of the past and the things that are going on right in his life in that moment and the things that may happen. And the theme is going to be that the gospel, the story of Jesus Christ, and the message of Jesus Christ is going to affect everything the way he thinks about his past and his present, and when he thinks about what's going to happen, the gospel is just sort of part of all of it. Now, we have a lot of things to look at this morning, but beginning in Philippians, the first chapter, beginning in verse 12, now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, things in the past, what has happened to me, has actually resulted in the advancement of the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is for Christ. Well, we need to stop for a moment and think about what has happened. Basically, the the quick story is that Paul went to Philippi on his second missionary journey, and that's when he first began, that's Acts 16. Then he comes back to Antioch, and then he goes on the third missionary journey. And we don't know that he stops in Philippi, but it says he went through Macedonia, and almost certainly he visited these folks again. And then he comes back to the city of Jerusalem at the end of the third missionary journey. And while he's there, he shares with James and the rest of the believers about what the gospel has been doing and how people have been being saved and the Gentiles and the things that are going on and their celebration in the church. And then this all begins in Acts 21 is the story and where it's told that he, uh, he's asked by them because he's sharing the gospel with the Gentiles and they say, listen, there are thousands of new believers here in Jerusalem, but they all are still keeping the law and it would really be good for the church if you would maybe make some effort to show respect for them. And they say, we got these four guys, they're getting ready to go through probably the vow of the Nazarite. And they say, why don't you just join those five guys? And by the way, you pick up the tab for everything and you go to the temple and that'll be good for all of the believers in the church and for the the cause of the, the, the church. And so Paul says, yes, it's a seven day process involved usually getting your hair cut at the end of it. And somewhere on the seventh day, things begin to go south. 
And what happens is an individual, and, and I don't know how else to say this, but there's an individual, and we don't know who that person was, but they had seen Paul with a Greek by the name of Trophimus from Ephesus. They had seen him in the city of Jerusalem, Paul and this Greek. And in their mind, they thought, I bet Paul took that Gentile into the court of Israel. And then they chose not just to think that thought, but to repeat it. And they said it out loud. And somebody else heard that thought. And they repeated it. And before long, there is a a riot that's going on in and around the temple. Paul is there, and with one word of evil thought and evil speaking and gossip going on and on and on, suddenly there is this atmosphere of hatred that all begins. And by the way, you do know that Paul says an awful lot in his other letters about evil speaking and slander. I'm not so sure this may not be part of the reason. But suddenly they've grabbed Paul and they're beginning to beat him and they're intending to kill him and the Roman soldiers are next door in the fortress of Antonio and they come down and as the result of that one evil spot that is then spoken and repassed and repeated, they come down and they don't defend Paul, they arrest Paul. And then they get him back to the fortress and they determine that they will find out what was going on by an interesting little process called questioning by flogging. And they got Paul all strapped out and they're ready to beat him and then he pulls the Roman citizenship card, which is a good deal, and he says, is it lawful to, to flog a Roman citizen? And they say, oh, no. And by the way, that's when we learn that Paul gets his citizenship by being born a citizen. So his father was a Roman citizen and we kind of learned that. And then they bring him to the Sanhedrin and he talks about the resurrection of the dead and kind of what almost becomes a riot there. And then there is a plot. Forty guys say, we are not going to eat or drink until we have murdered Paul the Apostle. And then they even go to the religious leaders of the day and they say, you know what? Make a deal with the Romans to bring Paul back to the Sanhedrin on another day. Tell them you want to ask a few more questions and get a few more things straight. And on the way from the fortress to the Sanhedrin, we'll murder Paul. But the word gets back to Paul, and then it gets back to the, one of the Roman centurions, and they get 400 soldiers and 70 horsebacked cavalry, and they spirit Paul out of the city of Jerusalem in the middle of the night to save his life, and they take him to Caesarea by the sea, which was the, the kind of big place for Roman governors in that area, and he's there. And then some of the religious leaders come from Jerusalem, and he is held on trial, and there's a trial in Caesarea, and, and he is tried before a guy by the name of Felix, a Roman governor, and then Felix uh, gets to know Paul and decides that he is going to hold Paul in prison, maybe that Paul will bribe him. And Paul spends two years in prison in Caesarea because the Roman governor thinks that maybe Paul will give him a bribe. 
And then Felix changes hands, and there's a new governor by the name of Festus, and after a few days, he brings Paul out, and Paul gets to talk to him, and then eventually King Agrippa, who was descendant of Herod, he comes, and Paul has a trial before him, and somewhere in the process, Paul says, I tell you what, I am tired of staying in prison here in Caesarea. I will appeal to Caesar. And every Roman citizen had that right to do that. But that meant is that you then were simply stopped and you were at your own expense to travel to Rome under guard and then you would wait for Caesar to hear your trial. And so Paul does that. And by the way, afterwards, Agrippa says, you know, if you hadn't appealed to Caesar, we probably could have set you free. And by the time the end of the book of Acts ends and by the time probably this letter has been written, Paul as an event, as an activity, has been in prison for probably five years. All because of some slander and gossip and hatred and, and frankly, some religious people not acting very godlike have said things and he has now been in prison for five years and that's kind of what has happened to Paul. And rather than, and this is kind of phenomenal, rather than being bitter... Rather than being angry about gossip and crooked politicians and unjust circumstances and basically all of this, not any of it true because he never did take Trophimus into the temple. None of it was right. Lies spoken about him. All of those things happen. And he says, you know, looking back at some of the stuff that's happened, I'm not angry. I'm not upset. In fact, what I'm excited about is that the gospel has had opportunities to be spoken in ways that it had never been spoken before. Because while Paul was being led from the temple over to the fortress of Antonio, he said to the centurion, could I say something? And what he does is he turns around and to all of those Jews who have been beating him and wanting his death, he shares his story of salvation on the road to Damascus. And he gets to tell them about the gospel and Jesus Christ and the death and the, the resurrection of Jesus. When he gets before the Sanhedrin, they are not really going to listen very well, but he's able to talk about the resurrection of the dead. And he says, that's why I'm really here is because of the resurrection. And then he's suddenly before Roman governors, and not just the Roman governor, not just Felix, but all of the court and all of the rulers and all of the, the authorities of Roman simple in Caesarea, and he's telling his story about Jesus, and he's telling his simple testimony. And then Festus comes, and he's got another whole self of folks that I'm going to share the gospel with. And then King Agrippa comes, and, and he shares the gospel with him. And then he's on his way to Rome, and, and there's guards that have been watching him. And can you imagine being a guard where Paul is in prison and held as a prisoner? I mean, he's not talking about the weather. He's not talking about the Cubs. There's not much to say about the Cubs anyway, but, but he's, he's not talking about those things. He's talking about Jesus in every occasion. And literally, he's the one that's prisoner, but they're stuck guarding him. They, they are a captive audience. It's kind of the other way around. And then he says, and I've gotten to Rome, and the imperial guard, because he appealed to Caesar, he becomes a political prisoner. So he's just not in any prison. He's being guarded by the imperial guard. And whether he's in the maritime prison, uh, Mamertine, or whether he's, he's uh, 
in his own rented house. There are guards there, and they are a captive audience. And he says, listen, I know my past has been filled with a lot of stuff that's not very good, but the good thing is that in the midst of all of that, the name of Jesus has been preached in places it never would have been before. Now, just some quick things. I'm convinced there is a message there about learning to keep your mouth shut just because something comes into your mind, you don't need to say it. And I think there's a reason that Paul spends so much time with Christians talking about evil speaking and slander and malicious talk. And I mean, I, I was, this was just a busy week and I didn't get a chance to look up, but I was going to try and look up how many times Paul references that. I mean, it's in almost every letter that he writes at some point or another. I'm convinced he understands and he knows. And yet, instead of feeling sorry for himself, instead of being bitter, instead of being angry, the circumstances that have occurred in his life, he has seen fit to use as an opportunity to serve the Lord and an occasion for the gospel. Now, you understand not everything that happens in this world is good. There are some preachers who will tell you, if you're just faithful enough, you'll never have any problems, you never get sick, you never have, everything will be great in your life. I don't think that's what the Bible teaches. The Bible says, fewer man's days and filled with trouble. We live in a world tainted by sin. And if you live in this world and you have to rub shoulders with people who do not know Jesus Christ in a world where Satan roams to and for, seeking whom he may devour, I guarantee you there will be things in this world that will happen to you, even as a believer, that are not good. Romans 8.28 does not say all things that happen are good. In fact, there's lots of stuff that happened that you and I can never say is good, but it does say that all things work together for good, for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. In other words, if you and I align ourselves with the ultimate purpose of God, which by the way is the gospel, is people being saved, that's the ultimate, you align ourselves with that good in your life. God will be at work in the most difficult of circumstances. And yes, you may not want to be in the hospital with your cancer treatment, but there may be people there who need to hear about your faith in Jesus Christ. And you may not want to be working in a difficult place where things are, are challenging and stressful, and there may be people there who need to hear the message of Jesus Christ. So there's an interesting thing. Paul's looking at the back and he's saying, man, that probably wasn't good and that wasn't good and that wasn't good. He doesn't even bring that stuff up. What he talks about is what God enabled him to do in the midst of it. Now, that's probably not a bad idea for you and I to think about our days ahead. That, Lord, if stuff happens, help me to keep my mind that maybe in the midst of this stuff, the name of Jesus can be lifted up. So he says, first of all, in the past, the gospel has changed the way he even thinks about it. And, and by the way, I struggle sometimes even with Christians who have had terrible things that have happened in their lives. And they live in the bitterness of the past. And sometimes they allow the past to drag them down and make them ineffective for Christ in the future. Don't spend a lot of time talking about all of the tragedies of your life. Spend time thinking about where you are and what God can do. So then he talks about the present. And the, the, the last part was people who should have been godly because they were all Jews and they were all religious leaders and they were the ones driving all of that. But now he's in prison and while he's in prison, there are brothers, believers, 
men of God who are speaking evil of him as well. So that picks up in verse 14. Most of the brothers in the Lord have gained confidence for my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the message fearlessly. Some, to be sure, preach Christ out of envy and strife, but others out of goodwill. Those do so out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely seeking to cause me trouble in my imprisonment. What does it matter? Just that in every way, whether out of false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. That's another interesting, powerful statement. I mean, just think about that. He's in prison, and there are other believers, other Christian preachers who are saying, yeah, I don't know about Paul, he's in prison. You kind of assume what they're saying. Yeah, if he was really man's God, he'd he'd have been free. I'm standing here, and I'm telling you about Jesus, but Paul, look at what he's done, and they are running him down, character defamation, brothers in Christ, Christians speaking evil of another Christian, and Paul in the middle, instead of feeling sorry for himself and being angry and responding on Facebook with a, you know, or Twitter or something else, instead he says, yeah, there's nothing I can do about that, but... If they're still preaching Jesus, that's okay. Now, doesn't that change your mind and your attitude? And I, I'm, I'm just, again, as Christians, there is certainly a word about when you're thinking evil about other people, just keep your mouth shut. I, I'm always refer- to, to reuse old references because Ryan Casey will never get them. But do you remember the Beverly Hillbillies? At least seen them at... Granny was a medical doctor, and she had a surgery that she occasionally suggested that was called a tongue bob. And she said some people, their tongue was just too long, and they got caught up on their teeth, and they said stuff they shouldn't say. And so she was just suggesting we just ought to cut some people's tongues a little shorter. Well, I'm not so sure that us as Christians, when we start talking about other believers and other people who are in the kingdom of God, just need to be really careful about what we're saying. We have no business running down other believers. We ought to be the body of Christ and and understand this. Even if their name on their church door is not the same as our name. Even if we don't agree with everything that they say and do. Even if we don't talk about every practice or maybe every doctrine. As long as they are preaching Jesus Christ crucified and raised again as the Son of God. Then They are a part of the kingdom of God, and we are brothers and sisters, and we're the family, and we're the kingdom of God. There's an element that just being around a lot of folks in the military, and they said one of the great things about fellowship is if they were pointing their guns in the same direction, you were allies, and you needed to not be shooting your fellow soldiers, and we need to be careful. In fact, I hope that you and I can rejoice when something good happens at the Pentecostal church or the Assembly of God church or the Christian church or some other church. If there is a church and we may not agree with all their practices and we may need to discuss that, it may limit how much we can actually always do together. But the bottom line is if they are preaching the gospel and preaching it truthfully, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul said, I delivered to you 
of first importance, of more importance than anything else. And you're right. This is the gospel. Everything else is not as important. That's important, but it's not as important. Of first importance that Christ died according to the Scriptures, that He was buried. And three days later, according to the Scriptures, He was raised again. That's the ultimate message. And Paul has this amazing attitude when there are other believers, other brothers, running Him down, criticizing Him, character assassination, and he says, as long as they preach Jesus... That's okay. Man, that's hard. But at the same time, it says that we are a part of a kingdom bigger than one church, bigger than one denomination, bigger than one belief, and the gospel changes the way he even thinks about this day. And then he begins to think about the future because, remember, he's in prison. He's appealed to Caesar. He doesn't know any day the word is going to come, and Caesar's going to send word and said, okay, I'm ready to hear your case today. Now, he's been waiting at least two years by the end of the book of Acts. It may have been longer than that, and we're not really sure how it all happened, but, but he was in that situation where he said, I've preached before the Jews in Jerusalem. I've preached before the Sanhedrin. I've had the opportunity to talk about gospel the gospel to, to Festus and to Felix and to Agrippa and to soldiers and guards and the imperial guard. And, and there are all kinds of people that I've shared Jesus with. But he says, I know that in the future, I may have the opportunity to stand before Caesar and my life will be on the line because that's where the buck stops. That's where the decision is going to be made. He knows that on any single morning that he wakes up, he might get called and by the end of the day, either be put to death or put in prison forever or set free. And he has no idea what's going to happen, but he knows he's someday going to stand before Caesar. And he's going to have an opportunity to say something. And here's what he says. Yes, in kind of the second part of verse 18, yes, I will rejoice because I know this will lead to my deliverance through your prayers and help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now, as always, with all boldness, Christ will be highly honored in my body whether by life or death. It's as if he's saying to them, the gospel has changed the way I even think about the past. The gospel changes the way I think about life today. And my prayer, my hope, what I, I want more than anything else is when my next opportunity calls and comes for me to stand for Jesus Christ, that I will not be ashamed that I will be bold in that moment, that I will speak the gospel in that moment. Now, if that doesn't challenge you and me to have a kind of boldness, I mean, this is Sunday's first day of the week. I don't know where you're going to be this week. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know whether it's all going to be good or maybe not so good. There may be events that rock your world. There may be events that change your life. There may be simple things, but there will be opportunities for you and I in the days ahead, and this ought to challenge us to say, Lord, whatever goes on, if I have an opportunity, help me to be bold. Help me not to just talk about the weather. Help me not to just talk about day-to-day -day things. Help me 
to let the gospel be a part of my life. This week, I, uh, I've done two funerals this week. Did one on Monday, did one yesterday. And uh, they are as different as funerals has ever been. The one on Monday was the most tragic funeral I have ever done in my life. Probably the most difficult funeral. In fact, I'm not even going to tell you the circumstances because it's just depressing and it was hard and it broke my heart to even have to deal with it and there were so many complications. But the honesty, the, the real heart of it was that the greatest tragedy in that event was that not one person could tell me whether or not the person who had died was a believer in Jesus Christ. There were some tragic, horrible things that happened, but not one person had any idea. They said, well, he went to church some. Went to a Baptist church some. But not one person could say anything to say this was an individual who had responded to the gospel and he was a believer in Jesus Christ. And I will tell you that was as tragic as anything could ever be. That in his death, there was no knowledge of Jesus. Then yesterday, I did one of the most fun funerals I've done in years. It just turned out it was a lady who 30 years ago I had the chance to talk with her about the difference between religion and relationship and she came to know Jesus Christ and I got to be there when it happened. And the next Sunday she and her husband and all four of their children were in church and over the next several years all of those children came to know Jesus Christ and the husband came to know Jesus Christ and I got to baptize all of them. I did all of the kids' weddings. I was involved in all of their life. But the very best thing is that the lady, when she got ready to die, and she's been struggling with a terrible disease and has had such an amazing and, and shared her faith with almost everybody at Barnes Hospital. And I mean, everybody there knows that they, they, she was a believer. But she said to her kids as she is in this process of hospice and dying, and she has said, I don't want a funeral. I don't want a funeral because I don't want people just standing around and talk about me. And the kids said, but we need one, Mom. We need them. And it finally came. There was a negotiation. She said, well, if they won't just talk about me, if you'll talk about Jesus, you can have a funeral. And so the four children all spoke. The first one who spoke shared the gospel. Did it on video and did the bridge illustration, the, the two cliffs and crosses in the middle, and, and that's how she came to know Christ. And she said, and, and I want to tell you about my mom. And she drew a little picture of her mom and said, and I know where my mom is today. And, and then just said, and if you're here today in this funeral and you don't know Jesus, then my mother in her death would want you to know Jesus and know more about him. The other kids share. And then I got up to share. And it was pretty exciting that in her death, as in her life for 30 years as a believer, grew and, and came to know Christ and shared her faith boldly and just said, if we're going to do a funeral, I don't want my death to be about me. I want my death to be about Jesus. By the way, in a few weeks, we're going to do something on Sunday nights and we're going to talk about funerals. And I think it's not a bad thing to get to plan your own funeral. My dad has his plan. He's even told me what points I'm going to say in the sermon. And I said, Dad, you know, you're going to, when you die, you're not going to be there. We can say whatever and do whatever we want. By the way, we did tell Maggie, I, you know, we did say to her, you know, you're not going to be here when we do your funeral. So if we want to talk about you, we will. And she said, just make sure get Jesus gets top billing. 
Well, that's pretty powerful stuff. The gospel. You understand, as a church, there's a lot of stuff we do. But there's nothing more important than the gospel. You and I as Christians, there's nothing more important in our life than the gospel. The message of Jesus. That's what we have. That's the big deal. And every other deal is important, but not as important. And in your life, there's lots of stuff that happens. But at the end of your life, the only thing that really matters is were you faithful to the gospel. In your life, to the end of your life, because the gospel is what changes life from this world to eternity. And, I, and, I, and I've, just this week, from Monday to Saturday, just world's different. And what made the difference? The gospel of Jesus Christ. Today, if you're here, and it was your funeral, first of all, if you're a believer, I hope you've told your family. I hope you've told your neighbors. I hope you've told your friends. I hope that your faith in Jesus Christ is not an unknown reality. I hope your coworkers know that you're a believer in Jesus Christ. I hope that you've shared it openly, that it's something that everybody knows. If you've got kids, make sure they know your faith in Jesus Christ. Tell them your testimony. If you've got grandkids, make sure they know the testimony of yours in Jesus Christ. Make sure people around you know it. This is the day where the gospel changes everything for you. Let's stand. Let's sing. Thank you for joining us for this week's broadcast of Living Love. If this message has impacted you in any way, please let us know. If you would like to contact us, find out more about our church, or if you'd like to support our mission, visit ibcbenton.com. That's I-B-C-B-E-N-T-O-N.com. Or give us a call at 618-439-3513.